Welcome to the Calvary Assembly Podcast with weekly messages from the Calvary Assembly of God Church in Lexington, Nebraska. You can find out more online at lexag.org and on Facebook at Calvary Assembly Lex. Thanks for listening. an incredible privilege today. Uh, we have Kirk and Marlene Spain with us, and they're part of a, I would say a legend family in missions. We had we had his dad here, Jerry, a couple months ago sharing about the, the Bible school that we helped build in Tanzania, and that was really cool. And uh, we have Kirk and Marlene, and they have given their lives to missions. They've been uh, Chi Alpha directors. They've been missionaries in Africa. We won't say how long because they're still really young, so it hasn't been all that long. Uh, but right now they're working in South Africa with uh, a project for pastor, healthy pastors and healthy churches. And uh, so they're going to come and share about that. So would you give a big Calvary welcome this morning to Kirk and Marlene Spain? Good morning, Calvary Assembly. What a privilege it is for us to be here. We, are, we sincerely feel so honored to be here worshiping with you this morning. It is, uh, I just want to say it's so life-giving to us Amen. to be able to, to be in a church like this that is so welcoming and um, just be able to worship together. And Amen. it doesn't matter where we are in the world, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And to us, that is so important. As Pastor mentioned, we are Kirk and Marlene Spain, and we are your representatives in South Africa. And I think we have a, we're just going to show a, yeah, we'll do, a yeah, video a right video now. So we'll thank you. You can't have a healthy church if you don't have healthy leadership. To me, that's crucial. That's why the emphasis is on having healthy pastors in all areas of their lives. You know, healthy in terms of their education, healthy in terms of their daily living, healthy in terms of their family life, and so on. If you have healthy pastors, healthy leaders, you are actually guaranteed that you are on the right track to have healthy churches. Our team in South Africa partners with the National Church to help see this vision become reality through a new initiative called Healthy Pastor, Healthy Church. Our artists to assist them in accomplishing their ministry visions and goals, specifically working towards healthy families and relationships. Throughout this partnership with the National Church, we're seeing healthy pastors and leaders pouring into other pastors, creating healthy communities for growth. We will see more healthy churches as we continue to equip and train healthy pastors. When we begin to build up the pastor and look at his needs, um, not necessarily the strong points because that's what most of us do. We focus on all the strengths. We focus on what I can do good, I can preach well, I can administer well, I can you know, do a whole lot of different things. But what are the things that you are struggling with and how can Healthy Pastor, Healthy Church concept come alongside you and help you build on, on those things. And, and basically that's, that's what the team is looking at and that's what for me the whole concept is all about. 
it's quite a plethora of instances, whether it be finances, whether it be spiritual, whether it be relational issues that pertain to pastor in their personal lives, in their home lives, in their marriages, in their families, and even in their immediate communities, because that, that, that affects the way they would be uh, doing their work or the call of God that has been placed upon them. So I think it's a beautiful and a good initiative. Training is key. Training in theology, training in leadership skills, training in personal relationship, because all those contribute towards a healthy human being, a healthy pastor, a healthy leader. As we partner together, we will see healthy pastors leading healthy churches that multiply so that we have a healthy church within walking distance of every South African. Brian and I would like to say thank you for your heart and your desire for missions around the world and specifically even here in South Africa. We greatly appreciate the partnership We say thank you very much. Say thank you. As, as the video shared, we work directly in partnership with our national church leadership with a team that is composed of missionaries and pastors, pastors' wives, and, and lay people within the church because we do have a goal of a healthy church within walking distance of everybody in South Africa. And actually, we say that even for the continent of Africa. And to do that, you have to have pastors that are healthy. And we say healthy in, in, in three ways, healthy spiritually, mentally, and physically. And one of the things that, that we have done in the launching of this in this last term, we actually began the process right before, as a team, we had just gone back from itineration, literally right before COVID hit. And uh, we actually had our first in-person meeting. And what we did was, uh, from the beginning, we just defined what, it, what does it mean to be a healthy International Assemblies of God pastor that pastors a church that's going to plant churches. International Assemblies of God has a goal of planting 100 churches within South Africa in the next number of years. What does that mean? They need more trained pastors who will come along the side, healthy trained pastors, that will go and plant those churches. And so we started the process right before COVID, and then with technology, we met some with Zoom. They started opening up things. South Africa, we were very tightly locked down. Churches were some of the last things able to meet. And so it was kind of, it was providential because as we came out of COVID and we were actually able to begin to meet, we then went into each and every district. There's 11 districts in the country of South Africa within the International Assemblies of God. And we went in and we found out and just worked with them to what the need was. And one of the biggest areas was, was just the health of the family, the pastor in their life and the ministry that they were doing. So then they can invest in the others. And so now we're going back and doing seminars and, and counseling and all the things that, that, that go along with it in the ministry so that then they can lead a church that then plants another church. And so that is where we are right now in our relationship and in, in, in what we engage in. We truly believe that as we go and invest in them, they are going to go where we can't go. And they go to where the need really is. And so uh, we work very closely with them in that way. And so we say thank you. We do. We, we are your representatives every day in the ministry that we do in the country of South Africa. And uh, 
the thank you through the things like BGMC. You talked about the, the BGMC Sunday coming up and Life for the Lost. And uh, Nebraska has been awesome because one of the things that we are doing now as part of Healthy Pastor and Healthy Church is a discipleship program. And, and there's the Living the Truth series and, and a New Believers curriculum now that we are able through the gifts of Life for the Lost of Nebraska we say thank you that we're able to put in the hands of our churches and then they are using those now to, to strengthen their people and hire, empower their people. And Speed the Light, we said thank you to the youth. This morning during the service, my wife and I had the unfortunate, unfortunate experience. I, wanna, I don't want to say honor, but it was an unfortunate experience of having two Speed the Light vehicles stolen within 18 months of each other this last term. And uh, part that agrees us the most in that aspect is we know the sacrifice our youth in Nebraska and the rest give for that. Uh, God will have his judgment, I guess. And I, I wish I could do my judgment, but that we, we couldn't do that. But through the gifts of, of, of Nebraska, we again now were able to, to, to drive and, and go do what we do across the, the beautiful country of South Africa because of speed of light. So we say thank you. We are your representatives and we don't take it lightly. Amen. And we need more of you. And that's what I want to talk about a little bit this morning. Uh, before I say that, though, I'll say on the back table back there, we have prayer cards. We call these prayer cards for a reason. We don't, they're not trading cards, okay? I don't know. If you go get money out of it, God bless you. I hope you give it to missions. Um, but, uh, but they are prayer cards. We ask that you take one. When you see this, pray for us. And we ask specifically a prayer for, for the church in South Africa, for the initiative that we're doing. We pray for protection. We pray for family. Those are three areas that we ask. And also back in the back, we have a, a sign-up sheet um, that you can receive our email updates, our periodic email updates that we send every once in a while, sharing a little bit about uh, what we're doing and what's going on in, in, in South Africa. So this morning, I want to share a little bit on, on, a, on, a, on a preaching teaching. I, I'm a teacher. I, I love teaching. And I'm a preacher. I'm a missionary. And so I'm going to kind of do a little bit of a hybrid this morning. And I know we're, we're doing the translation thing, so I'll promise I won't try to just shove this down your throat and, and, and have them worry about the translation. But I want to share a little bit this morning on Paul's missionary strategy. His missionary strategy in helping fulfill the mission of God. All of us today should know one thing. God is on a mission. We have the mission of God. And it's not just for missionaries. Okay? The mission of God is that the kingdom of God will be built. And that means that the word of God no matter, goes no matter where we are. And that includes Lexington, Nebraska today. From the beginning of Genesis, from the beginning of time, God had a plan to redeem his people. And that's where we are today, no matter where we are and what we're doing. And so Paul, in the, in, in, in the book of Acts chapter 19, we're going to turn there this morning, and we're going to read out of the passage of Scripture of Acts 19, 1 through 20. But I'm also going to refer to Acts 1, 8 and Acts 2, 4 as part of this process. Luke, the, the, the author of Acts, includes the story of Paul's ministry in Ephesus. Paul is actually in his missionary journeys, and now he's at a place in Luke's most comprehensive example of Paul's missionary strategy. And in effect, it sums up the missionary strategy demonstrated in his first and second missionary journeys, and now we're going to see how the effectiveness of it and how he was going. Paul employed this strategy in reaching all of Asia in that region with the gospel in a two-year period. Okay, that means the gospel went out. It doesn't necessarily say that everybody was saved in those two years, but they took the message of the kingdom of God to a whole broad area within two years. That's pretty effective. 
We will also do well to understand and employ this strategy in our own missionary, in our own local ministry, in our own church planning endeavors today because it's important to understand that it wasn't just about Paul doing it, but this was a godly principle and a godly strategy that still is effective today. Paul did this in the Ephesian campaign. His strategy included three pillars. We're going to talk about these in just a moment. But I want us to read out of the book of Acts chapter 1, I mean Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 20. And if you have your device, you have your Bible, you have your rest, I'm still reading, reading from, from the printed word. And uh, we're going to look at this. Paul's third missionary journey. While Paulus, this is Acts 19, 1. While Paulus was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus on the coast where he found several believers. First thing he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you were believed? He asked them. No, they replied, we haven't even heard that there is the Holy Spirit. Then what baptism did you, re- you experience, he asked, and he replied, and they replied, the baptism of John. In other words, the water baptism in the story of Jesus. Paul said, John's baptism called for repentance from, the, from sin. But John himself told the people to believe in in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. As soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 in total. And uh, chapter, uh, verse 8, Then Paul went into the synagogue and preached boldly for the next three months, arguing pervasively about the kingdom of God. But some became stubborn, rejecting his message, and publicly speaking against the way. So Paul left the synagogue and took the believers with him. Then he held daily discussions in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for the next two years, so that people throughout the province of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. God gave Paul power, power to perform unusual miracles. Then when handkerchiefs or aprons had merely touched his, his skin, were placed on the sick people and they were healed with, from their diseases and evil spirits were expelled. A group of Jews were traveling from town to town, casting out evil spirits. They tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incarnation, saying, I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, to come out. Seven, seven sons of, of, of Scythia, a, a leading priest, were among those doing this. But one time they tried, and the evil spirit replied, I know Jesus, I know Paul, but who are you? Then the man with the evil spirit leaped on them and overpowered them and attacked them in such violence that they fled in the house naked and battered. The story of what happened spread quickly all through Ephesus. The Jews and the Greeks alike, a solemn fear descended on the city in the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. Many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. A number of them had been practicing sorcery throughout their incarnation and books, and uh, sorry, with in, incarnation, books and burned them in public bonfire. The, the value of the books was several million dollars. So the message about the Lord spread widely in a powerful effect. Father, we just pray for your message today. Lord, use me as your instrument. Lord, may we gain what you would have for us today. We pray this, Lord, in your name. Amen. As I mentioned, Paul's missionary strategy here had three parts. The three parts we call three pillars. Number one was the empowering of the missionary and of the church. The second was the witness. In other words, the proclamation and the demonstration. And the third part was mobilization, and that was the demonstration by training and sending. We're going to talk a look about these briefly here this morning in each one of these. And the pillar number one was the empowering. The first pillar of Paul's missionary jury was the empower. 
it was the aspect of understanding there was a twofold purpose to this. Number one, it involved the empowering of the missionary of the person himself and Paul. As we know anything about Paul, Paul was one who was very passionate early on in his, in his career, in his life, passionate about persecuting the believers. He was a trained person. He knew what it meant to argue and stand up and fight and argue against the Christians. In fact, he was persecuting them. But now we know that he was miraculously saved. And the thing that part of his life was that he did not just automatically go into training, into, into ministry, but he understood what it meant. He was told to go and to wait and be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so the aspect of this is empowering. The first part is that involved in the empowering of the missionary in Paul in the people. The second part, the empowering is the church in the people of, of the believers. And so let's look briefly at each one of these essential elements. Paul entered Ephesus with full of the Holy Spirit, as it says there in Acts 19.8. And he ministered in the Spirit-empowered witness in accordance to Jesus' proclamation of one Acts 1.8. If we go back to the historical aspect of Acts 1.8, this is where the instructions were given. If we look at it and we read it, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The aspects there, the first part of it is that we call this the interpretive key to the whole book of Acts in Acts 1.8 because it gives us two aspects. The first part is what we call the unlocking or the understanding of the entire book. We call this the witness, the empowered motif. In other words, the empowering of the disciples in the church that was being planted was a key. The twofold empowering led us to understand the groundwork for what was going to take place later on. The first part was, you will be my witness. Witness. What is a witness? A witness is somebody who knows about something and they're called upon to share about it as evidence that this is true, that this actually took place. And so this is what we were called, called they were called upon and they were told to do, to be empowered, to be a witness. The empowering aspect is to be a witness. And so the twofold aspect is the church in Ephesus was to become a powerful center of missionary activity, reaching out into every part of that region. But they were told they were, first of all, to be empowered. They were told to go wait. They, they, were not, they weren't ready for this yet. And so they were told to go wait, and they were told to go and be empowered by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we see happen on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, verse 4. And that's the empowering of it because they knew the aspect of the, 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 the part of knowing what it meant to operate in that way. The empowerment witness motif says this, the empowering of the Holy Spirit results in a missional witness. In other words, we get the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives and we don't just take it and we do nothing with it. In the second part of Acts chapter 1-8, as a key part of describing the rest of the book of Acts, is that it gives us a table of contents for the rest of the book. In other words, the first one, Acts 1, 1 through 8, gives the witness of Jerusalem, the Judea mission, the Jerusalem mission. Acts 8 through 12 is the part that Paul is in right now. We call the transitional period in Judea and Samaria. And then Acts 13 through 28, the church's witness is to the ends of the earth, which includes part of where we are today as well, until he returns. So in his missionary endeavor in Judea and Samaria, Paul understood what it meant to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. 
That, is, that it was a not enough for him to be alone, to be full of the Holy Spirit. That's why when he reaches Ephesus, what is the first thing that he asks of these 12 people? Have you received the Holy Spirit? Because he knew that if he was going to do anything effectively in that area, they too need to understand what it means to be empowered by the Holy Spirit with the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the evidence of speaking in tongues. Paul must have, must have pers persisted in the insistence that him, not only them, but the witnesses to those who were going out. Why? What does it mean to be a witness? It means to be a witness of Jesus Christ in the salvation that he brings so that we build the kingdom of God. The two essential aspects in this first pillar, in this foundation's missionary journey, was the empowerment of the missionary and the people in the church so they too can do ministry. The second period, second pillar is witness. The second pillar of Paul's missionary strategy was witness. This is to be expected since the witness is a spontaneous result of one's being empowered by the Spirit. It's by the power of the Spirit that we are able to share Paul bore witness to the gospel through a powerful proclamation. In other words, he went out. It said there the first thing that he did was that he went into where? The, where the spiritual people were. And he spoke and he shared. And he went in the proclamation. He shared the gospel. And when he did this for three months, it says there he argued persuasively about the kingdom of God. He also taught publicly from house to house. When he was kicked out of there, he went. Proclamation means that you are sharing something that you are a witness of, that you truly believe in and you understand the importance of it. Once the church has this power and the understanding and going and doing the proclamation, we then begin to see that we begin to see demonstration. And I want to tell you today, one of the things that we need in our church is the powerful proclamation with demonstration. Because people have become attuned to things that are out there. And what do we need? We need the move of the Holy Spirit so that there is evidence of the fact. And let me tell you, when you read the book of Acts, there are seven times of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. In each one of those times, what took place, place afterwards was a message was shared and people were saved. You look at the day of Pentecost, Peter. If you know anything, remember anything about Peter, Peter was the one who denied Christ. If anybody was going to say something, Peter was the one. He was the one that, that had all these issues, but he was there on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And when he was full of the Holy Spirit, he then was the one who stood up and shared a salvation message. And it said thousands were saved in that day. That's the result of being power of the Holy Spirit is the proclamation and the demonstration. Later on, we see in Acts chapter 2 and through chapter 4, you see the story of Peter and John going to the temple. And there was a cripple. And the cripple had been crippled from life. And, and Peter, in his faith, he reached out his hand and his story said, silver and gold have I none. But what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ. And reached out his hand and the cripple was healed. And that was a demonstration of the proclamation of what was taking place. That these evidence, the miracles, the miraculous, the signs and wonders. And these are things that are happening all over the world even today. We can tell you stories and stories out of places where the miraculous is taking place in the gospel of Jesus Christ as a result of what happens if the proclamation is the demonstration and then salvations take place. Friends, we need the same thing today. The strategy can't be anything different because the demonstration is going to bring people's attention to a true, true salvation of Jesus Christ. The third pillar is mobilization. The empowering, the witness, and the mobilization. Mobilization means that we go. We don't just get it and sit. 
Paul understood what it meant that when he came in, he went to the places. And there are two aspects to this. Once the church had been empowered by the Spirit, and while the gospel was yet being preached and the power demonstrated, Paul began mobilizing the church for the regional missions. In other words, it wasn't just a matter of they were just comfortably cozy where they were. Paul began to know what it meant to begin to send people out. And so these were, we see the disciples, the mobilization indicated in verse 10. They went for two years so that the whole, that all the Jews and the Greeks who lived in the province heard the word of Christ. So in other words, it wasn't just they were sitting and they were taking and they were just locally where they were. Without ever leaving Ephesus, Paul was able to reach the entire province of Asia with the gospel in just two years. This could have only been done effectively by mobilizing believers in Ephesus. In other words, it wasn't just Paul's job. And when he said there, when they set, when they did the training for the months and they did the, le- in the lecture hall, he was investing in them, but not only during that, he was send- training them and sending them. This was a matter of an intention. Paul trained the workers and the church planners in the school, and the direct result was they were able to go out in the school's curriculum, probably included a time, I'm sure, of prayer and understanding what it meant to operate in the power and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. While the disciples were being trained, Paul sent them out. No doubt they were going out and did it work. Yes. If we could imagine reaching the whole state of Nebraska in two years, the whole region. And that's what it was. It worked. They heard the word of the Lord and said there in 1910. But I want to share this morning is this aspect of Paul's missionary strategy really wasn't anything new. This was a strategy, what we call the New Testament strategy, the spirit. It is for us today. Paul's strategy in Ephesus in Asia Minor was not original with him because really the, the beginning example was Jesus Christ himself. You see, Jesus was sent by God as God's son and he did not begin his ministry until he had a time where he was baptized and the Holy Spirit came upon him. He went to the desert and he spent a time there and he prepared for ministry. Then he went and did ministry. He proclaimed the kingdom of God. God had sent him as the son of Christ to redeem us. He went and he did that. But then while he was doing that, what did he do? He trained the twelve because he knew that his time was only a short period of time. And then before he left... He told them, go and wait. Go and wait for what? The Holy Spirit. So that you can be empowered. You will be my witness in these places. And so go and wait in Jerusalem. And that's what the disciples did. And that's when we have the day of Pentecost. You see, Jesus set the example. Paul was just fulfilling that. But before he ever did this, we understand that there was a purpose in everything that was being done. What was the purpose? The purpose was that Jesus Christ, the message of Jesus Christ, who came for each and every one of us, that each and every one of us can understand what it means to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't just for this time in history. This was something we are in the period today of the uttermost part. We are. There are still places today that need the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are places that are waiting for you and I and for others to go. Paul was just working the plan that had been set out before, but yet today we understand what it means to walk in the fullness, in the power of the Holy Spirit, so that we can understand what it means that people be saved and be part of the kingdom of God. The mission of God has not changed. 
God is still doing work today. There are still places to go. What we need today is we need to continue to have the passion, the passion and the power of the Holy Spirit for the lost. It doesn't matter if it's in South Africa. It doesn't matter if it's in Lexington, Nebraska, Lincoln, Washington, D.C., Beijing, China, wherever. The passion must still be today that there is a place, there is a message to go that needs a witness, and that includes all of us. The Great Commission. I love it on your wall back here. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and making disciples. What does it mean? Disciples mean that we all get empowered. It's not just the pastor, Pastor Rex, and the family. It's not just them. It's each and every one of us where we are, that we are empowered in the power of the Holy Spirit to take a message. We cannot do it alone. We cannot do it ourselves. We also need the call. I'm here to tell you today, I don't know where you are in your life today, but God is still calling people for ministry. There are still places for you to go. We would love to have you in South Africa. It doesn't matter what age you are. We'd love to have you in Africa, Asia, Europe, Eurasia, anywhere else. God is still calling to do it. The power of the Holy Spirit is leading us to fulfill the mission of God. And we have to have the faith. The faith. The faith that we can do it. I'll tell you today, as a missionary in this journey, I was just recently at the, at the district council here, and one of the things that we do as missionaries on our tables, we stand around and tell stories. We're pretty good at it. We tell missionary stories to each other. And one of the things that we're talking about is, and, and I'll, I'll say to this, the missionary journey is a faith journey. But really, it's no different than your faith journey. Because you live by faith every day as well. Every day that you get up, you're living by faith in the fact that you will have the providing, providing that you need to do what you need to do. Well, that's the same way us. It's a partnership with you all. And the faith journey is the fact that, yes, we have to raise a budget to be able to go to represent you and we're there. But the faith is also the fact that he has put a calling on our lives to go share a message. We have to understand the why we go. There's a lot of different ways we do what we do. There ever be a coffee shop or anything else and us and working with a team. But at the same time, the mission has not changed. The call is to fulfill the mission of God. And missions is one of the way that we, the missions is the way that we do it. The sacrifice, the passion, the call, the faith, the sacrifice. We are all called in our own lives to sacrifice something. One of the things that we sacrifice and we become a child of God and become full of the Holy Spirit, we sacrifice that it's no longer just our message, but we're sharing the message of Jesus Christ. It's not just what we say. We need to pray that God is leading us to those people who are waiting to hear. And so the application I want to finish with you today is this, that we as a body of believers, and especially in a Pentecostal body today, everything we do must be focused on the fact of being intentional, of sharing the message of Jesus Christ. We go as your instruments. You live in a place today where you have a, an area, you have a sphere of influence that we don't. You have people that you can reach out to today that we won't be able to. But it's all part of walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's still part of working the plan. God is still pending, sending people out today. God is still in the process of calling and sending and preparing people and empowering people today to fulfill the mission of God. What's the results? The results, I truly believe that we are part of one of the purposes the Assemblies of God was founded to become the greatest missions movement the earth has ever seen. And that's where we are today. That's still part of who we are today. But what, is it, what does it mean? It means each and every one of us today have a part to play. Because for us in South Africa, 
As we said, we believe that we have a saying that we want a healthy church within walking distance of everybody in South Africa. What does that mean? It means taking the message. The skill today is God still has a plan, and he has a place for you to be a part of that plan today, whether it be Lexington, Nebraska, USA, or the rest of the world. And so this, today, in closing, I just want to share this aspect. One of the things that, that, that we do in our Healthy Pastor, Healthy Church initiative is, is trying to encourage them to understand that they will go to places where we can't, and in empowering them. You have a pastor and his family today who are investing in you so that you can go to places and represent Calvary and represent the message of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to tell just a quick story today of, of, of the country of, my dad was here recently, but the country of Kenya and Tanzania where, where the, the plan worked. Through missionary Bible school training, through the aspect of that, there was a story of, of, of a gentleman who was a missionary colleague who one day... Somebody, a Maasai came knocking on the gate at the Bible school and said, we, want, we need to see uh, a gentleman, they called him the white-faced Mzungu. In other words, the, the red-faced Mzungu, the, the, the red-faced white man. What had happened was there had been an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in this area amongst these people. And they didn't know the teaching. They didn't know what, what, was, what was taking place. And so they were told, though, that there might be somebody in a vision of one of their leaders amongst the Maasai people, he had a vision of a, of a red-faced white person that needed to come and explain to them what was taking place. Number one, I want us to understand that God can move, his spirit can move and empower and baptize people in the power of the Holy Spirit without somebody preaching it. God can do it today, and he does. So he came looking for this person, and our missionary colleague was the one. He said, went and met him. He said, you're the one. You need to come and explain to us what was taking place. At this time, we had no Pentecostal age, some of God churches in that area. What ended up happening was they went, and they started teaching, and my dad and the rest of the Bible school people began to go and started training. They started training, and now I just recently heard, because the assistant superintendent of the Kenya, some of God now is a Maasai person that they have almost 800 churches within that region. That's the working the plan. That's the power of the Holy Spirit that became witnesses to where now they are sending people out themselves. Why do I say this? I say is that there are still places that need the gospel today. There are still people who need it. And we cannot do it in our own power. We have to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit just as it was instructed at that point in time in history. It's still true for us today. And so I want to close this morning just praying for you as a church, for you as an individual, for you as a church. As you pray for us, I want to pray that God begins to reveal his power to you for the purpose of being a witness, for the purpose of then you also discipling and working with somebody else so that they can be a part of what God is, what is happening and what God is going to do. Father, I just pray this morning. Lord, I thank you that, number one, you sent your son who set an example. And he walked in the power of the Spirit. And Lord, I pray for that for us today as well. God, I pray that you just begin to renew the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit in the lives of people in this church today. God, I pray that you'll begin to do things that they don't even comprehend. Lord, they might sit here today and they might think, you know what, that, that's for you, the missionary. That's, that's for pastor. That, that's for somebody else. But God, I pray today that you begin to pour out your spirit. God, that you begin to move in lives. 
God, you begin to reveal to them that they can do things, they can say things, they can proclaim beyond what they can comprehend. And God, I pray for demonstrations today. God, I pray that there begin ways that you will pour out your spirit, that as people begin to pray, Lord, they begin to pray for people, sicknesses and and health, Lord, and and physical needs and and work needs. And God, you will begin to, to move miraculous ways in Lexington today. God, I pray above all else that you will encourage us, you will strengthen us to be your witness. That your word will go forth in a way that it hasn't before. And Lord, I pray above all else that thy kingdom come, Lord, thy will be done today. In all the glory we thank you for this, Lord, in your name.